Over the past few decades, our understanding of rheumatoid arthritis has evolved quite a bit, and our patient's prognosis with RA has improved in turn. Many of the classic deformities associated with RA are becoming less and less common, and this means that our OT care needs to be keeping up with the times. In the journal article we'll be looking at this month, we'll dive into RA therapy considerations that go beyond addressing joint pain, and you'll see that occupational therapy is featured as a treatment option for helping patients navigate their daily lives. Then after reviewing the article, we'll bring on Cheryl Crow. Cheryl is an occupational therapist who is a fierce advocate for improving arthritis care. Cheryl is going to help us connect the journal article we read to your occupational therapy practice. Cheryl and I both believe that the RA community is currently being underserved by occupational therapy. And so I really hope this week's episode just ignites your passion for providing improved care to our RA patients. So let's dive in. Welcome to the OT Potential Podcast, where we dive deep into research and pull out actionable takeaways that you can implement in your practice starting today. Welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Lyon, OTRL. And before we dive into OT and rheumatoid arthritis, I wanted to let you know that this podcast may qualify as continuing education for you. You are probably listening to this podcast on a free podcast platform, but to gain CEU credit, you need to be a member of the OT Potential Club, our OT evidence-based practice platform. I'll give you more details on how you can sign in or sign up to take a test and generate a certificate at the end of this episode. But bearing in mind that this is a continuing education course, I wanted to explicitly state our two learning objectives so that you can be thinking about them throughout the podcast today. Our first objective is that you will be able to recognize the systemic manifestations of RA. And our second objective is that you will be able to identify self-management interventions that fall within the OT scope of practice. So let's begin with our research analysis. And then, as I mentioned, we'll bring on Cheryl to discuss how this research plays out in your practice. The article that we are looking at today is called In the Clinic Rheumatoid Arthritis. It comes to us from the Annals of Internal Medicine. It was published in 2019, and it is ranked 58th on our list of the 100 most influential OT research articles. So as a brief recap on why this paper was written, it is part of the In the Clinic series from the Annals of Internal Medicine. And the research reviews published as part of this In the Clinic series present best practices for the diagnosis and treatment of specific conditions. And this article was chosen to be on our podcast and to be featured in the OT Potential Club because occupational therapy is featured as a best practice for managing RA. So the article begins with a quick refresher on what rheumatoid arthritis is. And rheumatoid arthritis is a systemic autoimmune disease that is surprisingly common. In fact, I was stunned to read that RA affects up to 1% of adults in the U.S., and that is just a lot of people. RA is characterized by painful swollen joints. But given that this is an autoimmune disease, the symptoms go way beyond joint pain. And we'll talk about that a little bit later as we discuss this article. RA is more common in women than men, and it can present at any age, though the peak incidence is 50 to 60 years old. The article then gives a quick recap of how our understanding of RA has evolved in the past couple decades. Historically, progressive disability and shortened lifespan were considered pretty much inevitable for RA patients, but the long-term prognosis has improved significantly thanks to early detection and new medications. These new medications help control chronic inflammation, thereby reducing what was once thought to be the irreversible damage to organs. In occupational therapy school, you probably learned about the joint deformities that are related to RA. These include ulnar deviation, swan neck deformities, and boutonniere deformities. But thankfully, these quote-unquote classic RA-related deformities are becoming less and less common thanks to the improved treatment. 
So how is RA diagnosed? The article states that RA should be considered in any patients who present with joint stiffness, pain, or swelling that persists more than a few weeks. There is no single lab or imaging finding that can definitively diagnose RA. So the diagnosis is based on the pattern of symptoms, a physical examination combined with lab work and imaging. The article gives a lot of great information on the diagnosis of RA, and it is actually more complicated than I realized. So I definitely encourage you to explore that section if diagnosis is particularly interesting to you. Next, the article talks about the articular RA symptoms, articular meaning the symptoms that are associated with the joints. As we mentioned already, joint pain is just the beginning of the story with RA, but it is the most recognizable feature of the condition. Patients often present with symmetrical pain of the hands, wrists, feet, and or knees. But that being said, joint pain can also be asymmetrical and involve the axial joints, such as the hips. In new onset RA, symmetrical joint swelling and morning stiffness frequently improve throughout the day as the joints are used. So then the article has a great table on the common extra-articular symptoms of RA. Those are the symptoms that are not related to the joints. And honestly, there are just a lot of extra-articular symptoms that are listed in this article. And this really just scratches the surface. The list is not meant to be comprehensive. It just gives the most common ones. So this really makes it important to be listening to the individual client that you have on your caseload because there could potentially just be such a varied presentation with RA because there are so many possible manifestations, again, as this is an autoimmune disorder. Instead of listing every single articular symptom that's in the article, I'm going to list for you the systems that could be affected, but definitely encourage you to spend time with the full list that's in the article Again, if you do have an RA patient that's on your caseload. So the organ systems that the article says can also be affected and where we should be watching for changes are the dermatologic system, the ophthalmologic system or our vision, the pulmonary system, cardiovascular, gastrointestinal, renal, neurologic, and hematologic Again, this is a systemic condition, meaning that it affects many of our organ systems, and that is just something that you will definitely be wanting to keep in mind when you have that RA patient on your caseload. The article mentions the common assessments that are used for RA patients. It looks like it lists four assessments, but the two that I believe that OTs could help administer are the Clinical Disease Activity Index and the Routine Assessment of Patient Index Data number 3, which is known as the RAPID-3. And I'll add these two assessments to our assessment search in the OT Potential Club so you can easily see more information on them. The article does note that while it is helpful to gather objective data, the authors remind us that the assessments are not intended to paint a full clinical picture and that decision-making should be based on the circumstances of your individual patient. Next, the article dives into medication, and medication really is the backbone of RA treatment. The use of effective medication has completely transformed the lives of RA patients, and the article does an awesome job of discussing the different medication options that are now out there. And again, I'll refer you to the full article if medication is of particular interest to you, but in short, your patients are probably on some combination of one of these following meds, and it's likely that RA patients will need to tweak and adjust their prescriptions over time. But these most common RA medications are disease-modifying anti-rheumatic drugs known as DMARDs, most notably of which is methotrexate. There are also biologic DMARDs, also known as biologics, and Cheryl and I will talk a little bit about biologics when she joins me on the podcast. And then as needed, it is common that RA patients use non-steroid anti-inflammatory drugs like your over-the-counter ibuprofen. So given all this background, what is the role of occupational therapy in the treatment of RA? 
So even though significant progress has been made in the past decade in the prognosis of patients with RA, the reality is still that this is a complex and at times difficult condition to manage. The medications do not completely alleviate the symptoms. There's often a need for tweaking medications. There are just things in a person's life which will cause flare-ups. And the article underscores the need for more support by stating that RA patients do rate themselves lower than the general population on health-related quality of life measures. And this is where additional services like occupational therapy come into play. The article comes with a patient handout that simply states that occupational therapy may help you work and do your daily activities. The body of the article also asserts that occupational therapy can help with work-related activities like working on a computer and home management activities. The authors also note that splints may be helpful to some patients. The article doesn't go in depth into what this occupational therapy intervention can look like, but that is what we'll be talking to Cheryl about in just a couple of minutes. I did want to make a final note on exercise, which the article does put in the therapy section. And the authors note that even though RA patients were at one time cautioned against exercise, they state that it is now generally considered beneficial for this population to have an appropriately designed exercise program, and that this is something that OT or PT could help you with. So what were my takeaways from this article for OT practitioners? These, as always, are just my own takeaways and were not mentioned directly in the article. I had three takeaways. My first takeaway was that there are just a lot of people in your community with RA and that they might be underserved. I was pretty shocked to see such a high occurrence of RA. That 1% statistic to me just really means that there are more people with RA in my community than I realized. I'll talk with Cheryl about this in our conversation, but in my experience in outpatient, I can't remember ever having a referral for someone with RA. And based on the conversations that I've had, I don't think I'm alone in that. I think for some reason, we are often missing connecting with these patients. My second takeaway is that therapy professionals can make a huge difference in the lives of RA patients, teaching empowering self-management strategies. Now, this is definitely my own musing, but it seems to me that OTs are well-positioned to help at the different stages of the RA disease course. I can see the benefit of OTs delivering comprehensive RA education beyond what a quick doctor's visit can provide. And as with our other chronic disease patients, we have the potential to form an ongoing relationship where we can step in as circumstances dictate. We can teach patient strategies for joint protection, energy conservation, and safe exercise. And then when flare-ups or changes in life circumstances occur, we can walk alongside these patients to help them navigate new territories with confidence. And my third and final takeaway is that our understanding of RA has expanded beyond joint pain and our care as OTs needs to expand as well. If you are like me, you may have been conditioned to think of splints and ADL function for RA patients. But if our lens is this narrow, we are missing opportunities to help these patients with other tools, ones that are evidence-based and that are absolutely within our scope of practice. There is a great systematic review from AJOT on OT and RA care, which I'll link to in the show notes. And the article mentions coaching, home exercise, aquatic exercise, general strength training or aerobic exercise, Tai Chi, yoga, general patient education, self-management, CBT, and individualized joint protection and self-efficacy training, all as interventions that do have evidence behind them. So those are our highlights from this really great journal article. And to help us digest that a little more and again, really drive it home to your practice, it is just my pleasure to be bringing on fellow occupational therapist, Cheryl Crow. Cheryl is an OT who has lived with rheumatoid arthritis for 18 years. She founded the online education company, Arthritis Life, which educates, empowers, and supports people with arthritis. Through Arthritis Life, Cheryl has produced a plethora of educational and entertaining videos showcasing arthritis life hacks, basic arthritis education, and humorous takes on real life with RA. She also has her own podcast, the Arthritis Life Podcast. 
and has developed an online self-management program called the Rheumatoid Arthritis Roadmap. Cheryl is a fierce advocate for meeting the full picture of patients' needs beyond joint pain. She's an active volunteer with the Arthritis Foundation, the American College of Rheumatology, and the American Occupational Therapies Association. As a financial disclosure, Cheryl obviously has a financial stake in the products that she creates, that rheumatoid arthritis roadmap, but here at OT Potential, we do not have any financial ties to her work. So without further ado, I am going to patch Cheryl into our call. Welcome to the podcast, Cheryl. It's great to have you today. Thank you, sir. It's so wonderful to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I've been really looking forward to this conversation as in the club this week, we've been kind of immersed in learning more about rheumatoid arthritis and there's so much to learn and so much to unpack. So I just really appreciate you taking the time to be with us today. I wanted to start off basically just with your story of how your OT career and your life living with RA have intersected. Yeah, absolutely. So I was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis in 2003, right before I turned 21. And I didn't start OT school until 2010. So my goal was actually initially to become a special education teacher. And then that transferred into wanting to become an occupational therapist. So I had never been referred to occupational therapy as a patient with rheumatoid arthritis despite even specifically talking to my doctor about daily living challenges. Like I remember telling her in 2007, when my first biologic medicine was wearing off, which I know we'll talk about medications later that I couldn't turn the key to my car ignition very easily. And like, this is such a classic occupational therapy referral question. And what she said was, and, and she has been educated since she's amazing, but she just didn't know better. But she said, we need to up your medications. Basically, she said, I don't want you to have to quote unquote, have to use a gadget. Like you're young, you shouldn't have to use that. We want to control with medicine. And what I should have said is that I don't mind using a gadget. Like I would rather use a gadget than increase my medication, which is immunosuppressant. Mm -hmm. So anyway, long story short, there's these little seeds planted and unfortunately missed opportunities. Like with many patients never got referred to OT. And then when I went to occupational therapy school between 2010 and 2012, I got my master's at Samuel Merritt university in Oakland, California. I learned so much that applied to rheumatoid arthritis. And I was just shocked that I had never been exposed to this information before. So I still pursued working in special education as occupational therapist in the schools. And I also worked in outpatient clinic, but on the side, I decided to volunteer for the arthritis foundation because I figured, okay, I want to kind of separate my quote unquote, my arthritis life Mm -hmm. from my work life as an OT. I was worried that if I started working directly, like in an outpatient clinic with people with rheumatoid arthritis, I might have a hard time emotionally separating my work from home life, which was correct. But I also still had that issue with, (laughs) with working with children. So that was an internal journey that I had to learn how to balance in my own life. But basically what I started doing is I volunteered for the arthritis foundation at some of their patient education events. And I would just give the most basic, like one hour presentation, trying to make it fun, calling it like, you know, my favorite gadgets for rheumatoid arthritis. And people were, the response was amazing. Like everyone said, I never knew. I never knew about even just compression gloves. I never knew there was little aids to help you twist your key and your car ignition. And just how empowered they felt inspired me to start sharing those life, even just the low hanging fruit of life hacks. And then also kind of touching on the psychosocial parts of living with arthritis through my YouTube channel called Arthritis Life, which I then turned into a patient education company. I have multiple (laughs) questions about that. I think first I want to give a shout out to the things that you did learn in OT school that you felt like helped you so much. I think in reading this article, I was kind of like, oh, I have way more to learn about RA than I realized Mm -hmm. and wished I had learned more earlier. But from your story, that's a good reminder that in OT school, obviously you found things that were helpful. What were some of those specific things? I mean, the first thing is I didn't know my fatigue had anything to do with my rheumatoid arthritis. 
until I was in school. And I learned that, and it was very briefly mentioned, but it was mentioned that because rheumatoid arthritis is autoimmune, that it, fatigue is a symptom and, a, and a, a part of the inflammatory process. And I thought, oh, I always thought my fatigue was from my medications, but it turns out it's from the disease itself. And actually the medications are often, they're FDA approved for pain and preventing joint deformity, but they're not FDA approved for fatigue. And fatigue can more profoundly affect quality of life than pain. So even just learning like phrases and concepts like energy conservation, activity pacing. And, you know, I will say just for those out there who might feel like, oh, I have to wait till I'm an expert to get started or that, you know, I have to understand everything perfectly. I mean, I got a C in kinesiology. Like I really (laughs) struggled. Like the scapula was just my nemesis in school. (laughs) I struggled to like understand some of these, the real, so I wouldn't, I'm not going to pursue, for example, being a hand therapist because I'm much more of like a top-down therapist. That's just what I'm interested in. I'm interested in the mental health and the broad application of these concepts. But like, I know, even though I got a C in kinesiology, like I can understand what a lever arm is. And that if you have a longer lever arm for like, let's say a jar opener, that improves your quality of life. And it was shocking to me. I'm sorry, now I'm going on another tangent, but when I went on social media and started just sharing 15 second videos of myself using a jar opener as a kind of young person. I mean, I'm 39, which is young for people's perception of rheumatoid arthritis, but you know, on TikTok, I'm like old, but you know, <laughs> I would just share a video and people, so many people respond. I have like 70,000 views and responses to a video of me using a jar opener because there are other people with arthritis. They're young people who thought either, oh, this is only for old people to use or the elderly, which is also a stigma, right? But you know, just again, you don't have to be a hand therapist to help people with arthritis. You don't have to be an expert. Most of the people with rheumatoid arthritis don't even ever get any education on the most basic things. And one of, I'm just going to say a little tiny note about my story is that when I was in the schools and this is not against anyone, but a lot of the kids were overserved and it was starting to bother me like personally in my heart to go, to see that like, all these patients that I'm seeing when I'm volunteering for the arthritis foundation. And when I'm on social media, they're basically like struggling with no guidance and they're going to each other. Like, especially on social media, patients are like, I don't know how to like scoot my kitty litter. I can't hold my child. I can't like, this is profound. And they're never getting occupational therapy. And then the schools were like the handwriting teacher. I'm like, some, this is a disconnect to me. Like I, I was like this, I need to go serve this population. So that's really what inspired me. And again, this is not against anyone who works in the schools. I think it's really, really, obviously it's very important work and I was really passionate about it, but I started thinking, okay, what's that intersection? Like that ECOG guy concept that's like the intersection between what do I love? What am I good at? What does the world need? And what could I get paid for? And it felt to me like the world needs more educational and self-management services for people with rheumatoid arthritis and other inflammatory forms of arthritis. Yeah. I was really shocked after reading the article, just the number of people that have RA, that 1% of the population, that's a way higher incident than I feel like we've covered in the club. And I was thinking back on my career in outpatient, I was like, I never had anyone come to me for their RA. And I'm questioning why that was. And definitely I think of that as a failure on my part that I wasn't talking to our doctors about the services that I could offer. Because as I was reading this article, I was like, there's so many areas that we Mm -hmm. can help with. And I think a lot of these patients are getting missed at multiple points in their disease course, which segues into, that was my big takeaway from the article. What would you say was your big takeaways from it? I just really love that they talked about a proactive preventative strategy rather than reactive because that goes so well along with what occupational therapy can provide. And actually I've asked rheumatologists, I go to the annual conference and I volunteer on some committees for the American College of Rheumatology and the Association of Rheumatology Professionals. And 
I've asked them about why, you know, do you utilize occupational therapists? If not, why? And some of them have said they used to refer to OT more when the patients were more severely affected, but because the medications are working better now, they don't always think to refer. But even back then it was reactive. So they were only referring when the patient had a severe deformity. So this this idea of preventative services saying, okay, look, you're about to start this medication journey, which is a part of most patients' journey with rheumatoid arthritis, but you can still benefit greatly. If you're 21 years old, like I was when I got diagnosed, I could have had an education-based, you know, occupational therapy, one-on-one treatment session that basically said, look, here's some ways over the next 60 years of your life or 70, however long you live, here's some joint protection strategies, because guess what? Even if your medications work, because you have rheumatoid arthritis, you're at a bigger risk of developing osteoarthritis. And why not learn how to protect your joints? You know, why Mm -hmm. not? And just understand like what occupational therapists could offer. If, for example, when I couldn't lift my own child after he was born, I knew to ask for a referral to a hand therapist to get a splint made, but most patients wouldn't know that without seeing an OT. So Again, this focus on prevention was really helpful to me and the idea that OTs can, you know, the the article didn't focus a ton on OT, but it did talk about exercise. And that is a huge area of confusion for many patients. Everyone understands now like, okay, exercise is good, but how, if my joints hurt, it's not intuitive to exercise. So having guidance on that is also really helpful. Yeah. I really liked that the article drew out that exercise point. And that's something that we see with all of our chronic, or it feels like with all of our chronic conditions that we study that we're recognizing the role of exercise and recognizing the role that OT can play in exercise. Exercise is so much more than prescribing a list of things to do. It's mm-hmm. it's building a habit, which yeah. OTs are really good at. And yeah, I'm excited over the years to see us embrace that roll a little bit more. So we're at this reality where there's a lot of people with RA. Sometimes they're seeing OTs, not that frequently. I guess just like a simple question is, do you think that people with RA should be seeing OTs more frequently? Is there a bigger role for us to play? I think you've touched on that, but just to drive that point home, could you elaborate on that a little bit more? Yeah, this is one of my favorite soapboxes to go on. So (laughs) thank you for allowing me. Setting you up for your soapbox. (laughs) Yeah, but yes. So I'm going to refer to the AJOT, American Journal of Occupational Therapy article, which was like the second article that I think you recommended. But, you know, there is lots of evidence about occupational therapies effectiveness for helping patients with with what's broadly called self-management or psychoeducational strategies in the article. And there's a great center called www.selfmanagementresource.com. And it's from the, it was developed at Stanford and it's a chronic disease self-management program. I've actually gone through and got certified as a leader. It's a usually six week education-based program where self-management really just means For a chronic condition, the self is the patient living with it. And so, you know, I am living with rheumatoid arthritis as a patient. I have to manage this every day, you know, once a week for one hour, going to an occupational therapist or physical therapist with the old model of like therapy, something done to you, (laughs) that is not going to cut it. That's not, that's not sustainable, nor is it efficient or a good use of, you know, time or resources. So teaching the patients, like teaching a man to fish, you know, teaching them these core self-management skills, which according to that self-management resource center is um, emotional skills. So dealing with frustration, fatigue, pain, and isolation. So they kind of put fatigue in there because there's mental fatigue, but there's also the physical fatigue. So also teaching fatigue strategies that are like energy conservation-based exercise, appropriate use of medications. And this can include what we call an OT, right? Medication management, health management and maintenance. It's really that I would actually say like self-management in general just falls under the umbrella of health management and maintenance, you know, communication about your disease to your friends, family, and health professionals. And that includes advocacy, how to advocate with your professional self-management also includes nutrition, which I will warn those who are going into this. One of the most commonly asked questions by newly diagnosed patients is, you know, is there a diet for RA? Is there a special diet I should be using? So 
it's up to you as the clinician to determine how much of nutrition is in your scope given your own unique training, but we can certainly help patients understand the very basics, core basics of like a healthy diet. And um, the evidence is all over the place with respect to specific diets for rheumatoid arthritis. There is emerging evidence about like the gut microbiome being involved in like all autoimmune, but there so far is not like one standard recommended diet for rheumatoid arthritis by like health professionals. The latest evidence from the 2020 rheumatology conference did show that the Mediterranean diet based diets are, are looking to kind of be helpful. And then the other two things in self-management are like decision-making, like helping patients make decisions, which seems so simple when you put it, when you say that ah, make decisions, but these decisions are really hard. The decisions are on medications, the decisions are what exercise plan should I even try all sorts of health decisions and then how to evaluate new treatments. So really making a pros and cons list and helping patients work through that. So really think that like, I like to tell, say in, in layman's terms, it's like managing your rheumatoid arthritis on a daily basis. It's literally a job. It has lots of requirements and there's no really good orientation manual out there that's like universally available for patients. So helping them learn these skills is something that OTs are just so perfectly poised to do. Yeah. Yeah. Those self-management skills, we talked about that in a previous podcast with chronic stroke patients, a really similar skill set where I see the OT stepping into more of that coaching role Mm-hmm. And really thinking about the patient long-term outside of OT. And I think our insurance models sometimes make us so focused on what's in the session when what really serves our patients best is to be thinking long-term for them that we're launching them on this journey of self-management. The goal is to not need us. Yeah. And in one of our previous podcasts, we've looked at a handout about participatory medicine, which I was thinking, have you seen this handout? I've followed things from the Center for Participatory Medicine before, but I'm not sure about this specific handout. Yeah, Yeah. we we actually worked with them to make a handout that is specific to OT, but it positions the patient as the expert in their own life and or in their own health condition. So there's Mm -hmm. so many resources for OTs to kind of take this new lens of self-management if people are hearing that and that's feeling kind of intimidating. It's, OTs definitely have that skill set and I look forward to seeing us step into that a little bit more. Yeah. I had this, as I was thinking about the journey of an RA patient, I wondered if you had thoughts on when the best time to get a referral to an OT would be. Like, if we're going in and talking to our doctors about the role that we can play, do you have recommendations for when good touch points would be? Yeah. And interestingly, the European League Against Rheumatism, it's known commonly as ULAR, kind of like AOTA is known as like AOTA or, or AOTA. It recommends patient education be provided throughout the course of someone's disease and upon initial diagnosis and then throughout the course at any point when their status changes, which as I even mentioned in my own story, you have to think about rheumatoid arthritis similar to where how you think about like a relapsing remitting multiple sclerosis. That's how it is for most people with rheumatoid arthritis. It is not the first medication you try is not always the one that's going to work for you forever. It, there's a lot of ups and downs. You know, in the last 18 years, I've been in every possible scenario. I've been in total, um, when I was pregnant, I was in unmedicated remission for the first and only time, meaning I wasn't taking medication and I had no symptoms of rheumatoid arthritis. I still have the diagnosis, but I didn't have any symptoms at the time. And then I also have been in medicated remission, which is where you're taking medications, but they're working so well that again, I didn't experience any, in my case, pain or fatigue, you know, for five years, right after my diagnosis, I got put on early aggressive medication therapy and I traveled the world and I did all these different things. And I thought that was what I was going to do forever. But then when my first medication wore off, it actually technically what happened is my body created antibodies because this is an autoimmune thing, right? So my immune system's a little bit out of whack. It's attacking my own healthy tissue. And then it decides, wait a minute, I'm being surprised by the medication. I'm going to attack this medication now and create antibodies to the medicine. So then I real that was like a huge turning point for me where 
I really needed that education at that point. I needed to understand joint protection. I needed needed under I needed emotional coping skills with these ups and downs. And so I think the best in my world, you know, if I'm painting a picture of what I think would be perfect, <laughs> let's start with perfection and then we can work backwards yeah, to yeah. reality. <laughs> It would be definitely a multidisciplinary team that you're referred to immediately after your diagnosis. Mm-hmm. What's a little hard with education-based intervention after diagnosis is that that's the time they're the most overwhelmed. But I think knowing that you have a team around you is huge. I can't tell you all the patients that you see on social media every day and that contact me that say, I felt like I had this 40-minute appointment with a rheumatologist and then they're like, here's a pamphlet come back in three months, Mm. like start this medication, come back. Like literally it's egregious. Like imagine doing that to someone who had a stroke or multiple sclerosis, like, Mm -hmm. okay, just try this on your own. Like they're really left on their own. And so knowing that even if it's a very basic appointment, just explaining, here's some life hacks. I call them life hacks, you know, adaptive equipment. Here's what an occupational therapist can do for you. And then, you know, maybe two or three sessions just to get people, here's how your daily routines might be modified. Most of the time when people are diagnosed, they're doing really badly. And even if they end up doing really well on medication, like I did, like within three months, I was totally living a normal life. I still could have benefited from that initial knowledge to help me cope with the amount. Like I couldn't open a container of milk. I couldn't put Mm -hmm. on my own shoes. Like again, even at my initial diagnosis, it was like, well, these medications are probably going to work. So just take them. And then, and I'm not anti-medicine, right? Medicine is why I can have the quality of life I do right now. But if you're talking about, you know, helping the patients in all facets of their life and giving them a quality of life that they deserve, giving them occupational therapy is just a no brainer to me. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. you know, cause again, many of them there that they can't uncurl their fists when they first get diagnosed, regardless of how well the medicine's going to work, you want to empower them with those tools early on. So maybe a short term, you know, rheumatologists refer to three to four, you know, sessions of OT to get them on the ground running, to get them, help them cope with what's going on and understand the disease. And then know that at any time when their status changes, when they have a baby, like I did, I felt great when I was pregnant, had a horrible flare up postpartum knowing that, okay, right. There's that OT, that person that I saw when I was first diagnosed, can we ask my rheumatologist again to get referred back? Cause I'm not doing very well again. Yeah. And it seems like if there were those initial sessions too, there could be education on how OT can be a resource in the future when your status does change. Mm-hmm. And really seeing the psychosocial part is something that a lot of providers don't have the time to do in their sessions. So, you know, so this is a really profound life-changing event for people to get diagnosed with a lifelong chronic disease with no cure. And I'll tell you the first things they do is they go on the internet, they look it up and they freak out because they see that the uh, average lifespan of someone with rheumatoid arthritis is 10 to 15 years less. But then, so they're getting all this information online about how scary RA is. And then, but then they're explaining it to friends and family. And because there's such little awareness about rheumatoid arthritis and how serious it is, guess what they're being told? Oh, you just have arthritis. Well, my grandma had arthritis yeah. <laughs> and she's fine. Or they'll say, oh, my friend took turmeric oil and they're fine. Or oh, just do yoga or, you know, so it's a really difficult social, psychosocial experience to be diagnosed with this. People feel very alone. They feel mm-hmm. isolated and confused and overwhelmed. I mean, I'm just, that's, you know, my experience being part of these patient communities for over a decade. So anything that we can do to empower them early on is, is just, is golden. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I would think that goes back to having that relationship with the rheumatologists in your area and the general practice doctors, because I'm sure they see glimmers of these challenges in their short sessions and like, they might be relieved to have an OT to refer on to. Yeah. So many conversations I've had with rheumatologists, they've said, I'm so glad you told me, like, I kind of thought, basically, I'll just be really blunt. People just kind of think of OTs as the splint people and kind of synonymous with physical therapists in rheumatology. It's really Mm -hmm. sad, but it's what's also what on the flip side, it's a huge opportunity. Like, so I'm kind of telling people, like, I don't even see patients one-on-one right now as an occupational therapist. And I'm constantly telling, like promoting the profession. Like, you know, if you have like, if you're in a space that's really saturated, like you're seeing clients that are being served by lots of other people, like I'm telling you as a business idea, please serve people with rheumatoid arthritis. 
and ankylosing spondylitis, psoriatic arthritis, lupus, mm-hmm. all sorts of inflammatory autoimmune conditions that cause inflammation. I mean, I think, yeah, ankylosing spondylitis is one that causes back pain. And so, you know, that's a huge issue for daily functions. So I'm serious. Like, I just really hope that, I mean, like my dream in the next decade would be for this OTs to be so much more widely recognized and utilized in rheumatology. Mm-hmm. And it's so fulfilling because like, you can't imagine how relieved these patients are when you can just help them walk through a day in their life and be like, here's where you could like, you know, turn your knob door into a lever by buying one of these, you know, door cover things or creating it out of one of these $5 things that I forget what they're called, but there's these, they kind of are like the equivalent of built up handles, but they have a wire in them. So you could wrap them around things and they maintain their shape and you can, you know, little life hacks like that make a huge difference. And I'm not, you know, I get messages all the time on social media from just little videos I've done. And I'm not even, this isn't even, you know, in the context of a skilled one-on-one therapy service, but if I could sit with them and walk them through the day and give them personal recommendations, that would be even more powerful. Cause if I'm giving them awareness on social media, they're still having to sort through and apply the information on their own and their own life. And that's where OT is going to be so helpful. Yeah. To really be able to listen to the specifics of what's happening in their day and and if you had this long-term relationship with an yes. RA patient where you're seeing them at multiple stages that, I mean, there's nothing more powerful than that, mm-hmm. I would think. I want to get really practical. So hypothetically, we maybe have a conversation with our general practice doctor or rheumatologist in the area, and we start getting some RA patients on our caseload. I, I know that you're not currently mm-hmm. seeing RA patients, but I guess let's start with assessment. Mm-hmm. Our article had four assessments that it called out. As I was reading about the four of them, I thought maybe two of them in OT could administer the RAPID-3 and the Clinical Disease Activity Index. Is that where you would start if you... Had an RA patient, would you start somewhere else? How would you kind of launch off in the evaluation assessment part? Yes. And I did, I set up my business so that I could do OT sessions as well. And I do want to grow into that. I'm just (laughs) growing slowly now. But yeah, the rapid theory is it does require training in how to palpate, not just like, you know, how we learn in OT school, how to palpate muscles. Well, this is really palpating the joint and identifying swelling from a manual assessment. And so you would have to get more training on that. But I find they're very basic, these assessments that were mentioned in the article, that that they're good, helpful to identify and capture severe disease activity. But the majority of patients, because of the medications working well now, are not in as severe a category. They're having more IADL issues, instrumental activities of daily living challenges, not necessarily ADL. So like there's almost been no time in my experience with rheumatoid arthritis that I can't operate a faucet on my own. Like no matter how bad things have been, I could still do that. But there's been plenty of times when I couldn't perform my instrumental activities of daily living, care, my own health management, care of pets, care of children. And so I would recommend, there's a quick six question screening tool called the self-efficacy for managing chronic disease, six item scale. That is really about self-management and self-efficacy. So like how confident do you feel you can keep the physical discomfort or pain of your disease from interfering with the things you want to do? Those that gives you a sense of how efficacious they feel initially. Also, of course, the COPM, a true occupation-based assessment, I think would be extremely helpful understanding what's important to them. You know, maybe they don't care about the thing that you think is really important. Maybe they don't care about meal preparation because they, they'll just order out. But what they really care about is being able to, I always, for some reason, think about the example of scooping the kitty litter. Cause that's one I've seen multiple times on social media. People have a hard time taking care of their pets. Yeah. Also the dash disabilities of the arm, shoulder, and hand, if the hands are an issue, which they typically are with rheumatoid arthritis. And then because fatigue, I cannot emphasize enough the degree to which fatigue as a symptom is under-addressed. And actually, this Annals of Internal Medicine article itself is proof of that because fatigue was mentioned maybe twice in that art- entire mm-hmm. article. When fit- You can just imagine, imagine if you had an article about multiple sclerosis that like only talked about motor impairment and never mentioned fatigue or brain fog. Like those are, yeah. <laughs> those are huge patient quote-unquote complaints or issues. And so- There's a scale called the Functional Assessment of Chronic Illness Therapy Fatigue 
the facet-F. And so if you are not addressing fatigue, you are missing something for a lot of patients. I mean, if you're not asking about it, at least it may not be an issue for mm-hmm. a certain patient. So those, those would be the ones I, I would go with. And that's a lot, <laughs> but again, we're, we're painting the ideal world picture, right? So yeah. 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 And so, and some of those are probably OTs are hearing those and they're like, that's totally in my wheelhouse. These other, like the self-efficacy mm-hmm. item survey, that sounds very achievable to incorporate the quick, like yes. six questions, self-report, and you could get a lot of useful information from that. So that's where you would start with assessment. I love that. I love how it's moving kind of beyond the joint pain stereotype where everyone seems to be stuck. I can see patients really appreciating that. And then as far as going into treatment, what specific recommendations would you have for OTs who are thinking about their treatment sessions for patients with RA? Yeah, I really think taking that self-management approach, or if you are familiar at all with like the University of Southern California, USC lifestyle redesign, that's trademarks and lifestyle redesign, copyright or (laughs) R after it. Yeah, yes. (laughs) But, you know, taking that approach of saying, okay, I honestly think one of the most powerful exercises of the patient is like, let's walk through a day and like walk me through a day in your life. If it's a virtual session, you could literally have them take their camera around their own house and say, okay, Mm -hmm. wake up. I have morning stiffness. It's a really common symptom for rheumatoid arthritis. You have morning stiffness lasting 30 to 60 minutes. So, okay. That's already the first thing that happens to them when they wake up in the morning, they have an opportunity, right? To learn about a paraffin bath or taking a warm shower or, you know, recommending those kind of interventions for pain management and fatigue management in the context of the patient's actual day is going to get you a lot of buy-in from the patient because they can immediately see, like, you're not just like, I'm going to tell you about joint protection, like in a boring way, but you can be like, oh, mm-hmm. so like when you hold your coffee mug with one hand, you're actually promoting something called ulnar drift, which is like, I call it pinky drift, where your knuckles are pushing towards your pinky. And that's actually something we want to avoid. So can you try holding your coffee mug with two hands? You can see my, that's my pediatric voice, but yeah, Yeah, (laughs) you know, so you can hold it with two hands and then that distributes the force across, you know, multiple joints. That's a joint protection strategy, but giving them that education in the context of their life. And then the other thing that I didn't mention is like an assessment, but that is so helpful to me in doing what right now, what I'm doing is a mental health approach called acceptance and commitment therapy, which is also known as ACT, is extremely congruent with occupational therapy, but it comes from psychology. And it's actually considered the third wave of cognitive behavior therapy because it's it's mindfulness-based. So it's a long, a long thing, but this is very evidence-based for chronic pain in particular because it talks about, I'll tell you, break down with ACT, it means. <laughs> acceptance is like- yeah connecting to the present moment exactly as it is so the mindfulness piece. It's not about resignation or giving up or saying that there's no hope for me because I'm in pain. It's just saying, what is happening right now? Can I just sit with that? It's hugely helpful because so many of us are so, when you live with pain, you become typically solution focused and future focused. You're like, how can I make this go away? Make it go away, make it go away. And actually as the provider too, we tend to reinforce that idea, right? We have to, I have to teach the patient how to make their pain go away. And the fact is, if you're talking about chronic pain, there is a ceiling that we reach sometimes. And it's scary for people to admit, Mm -hmm. but it's extremely important that sometimes there's nothing more that the provider can do. We've tried everything. What do you do then? You can still compensate and adapt. And it's so funny because OTs, right? We learn these two strategies. We learn remediation versus compensation or remedial versus compensatory slash adaptive. But yet, so, so often with arthritis, we're just thinking remedial. Oh, like, you know, use a paraffin bath and do these things to help your joints. Okay. That is one thing very helpful, but what about adapting and compensating? What about not just adapting and compensating like a life hack gadget, like a key opener, but what about adapting and compensating to the pain? 
that is really, really hard. That's like the inner work that I've had to do as a patient with a therapist, a psychologist and a psychiatrist. Cause I'm extra special. I got both and um, <laughs> so helpful. And I've actually talked to uh, Dr. Virginia Stoffel, who is the editor of the Men- mm. OTs and mental health, a vision for participation textbook. And I said, why is ACT not in here? Oh, so sorry. I, I didn't. So she's open to it being in the next version, by the way. So I'm going to get ACT in there too. <laughs> other soapbox. But so acceptance is part one. That's just in your, that's internal in your head. Okay. But then what's the CT commitment therapy that what you do with commitment is that's you take meaningful action towards your values, despite whatever your thoughts are. So it doesn't matter if my thoughts are telling me like, your pain's never going to get better. Your life is over. Your failure. You don't sit and like argue with that like you do with cognitive behavior therapy. Like that's a distortion. What's my evidence for that? Doesn't matter. We just mm. allow those thoughts to be, allow the pain to be exactly as it is, and then we say, "What can I still do? What's meaningful? Mm. What's important in my life that I can still do?" I mean, how OT is that? Literally, yeah. Connecting to meaningful value-based activity is completely the heart of, of app and it relates so perfectly to OT. So saying, you know, a lot of times we need to validate patients grief. Like I'm grieving that I can't, let's say I can't garden in the way that I used to be able to, I can't play with my children the way they used to be able to. And we don't want to minimize that. Those thoughts are valid and real, but we can also have a moment to say, what's still possible in your life? What's, what way can you still interact with your children? I've had times where I've laid on the couch and played a game with my child that way because my fatigue or my pain were so bad. So understanding that there are still like breaking the activities down, like in true OT fashion, like activity analysis and helping patients still see the possibilities is huge. And there's a lot of good research on that with, with chronic pain. So yeah, we have to just really embrace the possibilities that are there despite the pain versus always thinking that we have to remediate or fix the pain. Yeah. That makes me think of just some like self-work we need to do as OTs. I can see through good intentions that we reinforce the focus on pain in our sessions that we're like, let's rate your pain today and make that a focus when we do have other tools that we can pull out. We can rate our fatigue and focus on that or do a two-word feelings check-in. Mm. What are two words that describe your feelings today? Like there are other tools in our toolbox that we can be pulling out. I wish that we could do a whole other follow-up episode on ACT. ACT? Is that the Yeah, right? ACT. Dr. Bonnie Lex Thompson is a pain specialist, pain researcher in New Zealand. She also lives with chronic pain from fibromyalgia, and she's a wonderful speaker on this. So, and she's very well versed in ACT, um, acceptance and commitment therapy, specifically for chronic pain. It's a very misunderstood area. Pain is science is is often misunderstood within all physical rehabilitation sciences. So, like even understanding, you know, the mechanisms of chronic pain versus acute pain and in uh, rheumatoid arthritis, it's a little difficult because you might have an ongoing inflammation process that is causing a certain amount of pain, but you might also have like central sensitization where like your brain is over responsive mm. to pain. So you can have both types, but yeah, learning those tools has been super instrumental for me. And I, I really recommend anyone who works with people with pain, whether it's from arthritis or something else, learn about acceptance and commitment therapy because it can really transform your patient's life. It frees you from this fixation on fixing it and finding the next solution. I can tell you so many patients get caught up in this endless search. What's the thing? What's the, what's the thing that's going to make my pain go away? And your life passes you by, you know, you're, you're trying diet Mm -hmm. number three, diet number four, supplement number five, supplement number 10, going to another specialist, another doctor. And like Dr. Bronnie has said, at some point, like someone needs to tell the patient that like, it's possible that no one's going to cure your pain. It's possible that no one's going to make it go away, but what then? You still have a life. You still have a life yeah. you can live and we can help you function. And it's like very freeing to pay. It's scary and overwhelming and it can be depressing initially, but ultimately it's like, I say to, I've given this talk before to patients, but like the truth will set you free, but first it will piss you off from Gloria Steinem. Yes. That's the name of one of her <laughs> books, but it will set you free. Like it will, but it is really scary and overwhelming at first because everyone when you have pain, of course, you put your hand on the hot stove. Your reaction is to take it away, right? To, and obviously, if that's mm-hmm. possible, you should. But at a certain point, there is something more to be done. 
So how do you know if you've even reached that point is another difficult thing to determine, but yeah, act is amazing. Yeah. And what a, (laughs) what a honor and privilege as OTs to be able to walk with someone in that journey, especially if we have the courage to step outside kind of our typical like ADL split framework and think a little bigger picture and, I know as I was working as a therapist, I was always worried about insurance reimbursement and like, oh, what will they think if I'm doing something a little different? But I'm like, these are evidence-based approaches. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would love to fight with an insurance company about the value of addressing these things. So I hope that OTs have the courage to kind of think bigger picture when they are working with RA patients. Yeah, you could you could initiate this discussion while fabricating a splint. <laughs> Be like, while yes, I'm over yes, here, yes. <laughs> have you heard of acceptance yeah. of commitment therapy? <laughs> yeah, and what's what yeah. I think is ironic, and I've I've advocated in Washington D.C. and in my state capital about unethical insurance process, you know, policies with respect to patients with rheumatoid arthritis and occupational therapy. And what's amazing to me is that it's so short-sighted. Like insurance companies Mm. should actually be, and some of them are. With diabetes, they are giving comprehensive self-management for free to a lot of patients because they've insurance companies have realized they're going to save a lot of money if their patients understand how to manage their disease. But with rheumatoid arthritis, it's a little tricky because like my medications are over $50,000 a year. So, you know, I don't want to bite the hand that feeds me. I'm like, thank you insurance for covering my medications. Yeah, yeah, and, you, yeah. But like now I also want you to cover all these, you know, therapists to teach me stuff. But really it's like the case that if you can, you know, prevent someone from getting to the point where they need a, you know, a, a custom splint fabricated, then of course you're going to save money long-term. But when I went with the American College of Rheumatology to Washington, D.C., I asked, like, why don't they want more prevention? And what the lobbyists told me there was that they only care about their quarterly profit because people's health insurance, mm. they're going to switch with whatever job they have. So they don't actually have a lot of incentive to look long term preventative. So I thought that was interesting. But I'll be honest, yeah, that's kind of a weakness of mine is that I don't know how people have gotten around the insurance problems, but I do know, I asked the trainer and when I took the USC lifestyle redesign, I said, are you really getting insurance coverage for this? And everything I just talked about, self-management, emotional coping, joint protection, preventative education. And they said, yes. So, you know, figure out from USC how they're doing it maybe. (laughs) Yeah. And as OTs, we can do the right thing in our imperfect systems. And mm-hmm. this is definitely a call to action to do that. Well, Cheryl, I hope I can have you on again <laughs> in a couple of years and that we see a different landscape of OT and RA. Yeah. Like I can really see this being an area that grows and evolves over the next couple of years, even. I hope so too. Partially in thanks to all the advocacy work that you've been doing. Uh-oh. I had two more quick things. One, I was wondering could you help me after this podcast, make a list of some of your favorite resources and we'll share that on the course page and we'll share that in the OT Potential Club where people can look more at some of the things that we've been talking about today. Absolutely. And then finally, I have my rapid fire questions for you. These are just a couple quick questions and you can just say the first thing that comes to your mind on them. Okay. What is the first sentence that you usually say to patients? Usually just say, I'm so glad you're here. I'm so happy to be able to help you improve your quality of life. What is the last sentence that you usually say to a patient at the end of a session? Just, do you have any more questions? Because people often have something juicy at the very end. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, something they've been sitting on. That's such a good coaching question to end with that. What's your favorite assessment? I love that six question self-efficacy scale. So helpful. Oh, I could see that being helpful to so many patients. And encourage them. I would encourage them to write comments too, because you don't have to write a narrative. The patients don't, don't have to write a narrative when they answer the questions, but you can get so much good information from that. What's your favorite OT intervention to deliver? I don't know if you would call ACT a true, like, OT intervention, acceptance of commitment therapy, but providing yeah, psychoeducation, I guess, through an acceptance-based mindset is my favorite thing to do right now. What's something that you've read recently that has inspired your OT practice? It's funny because you mentioned habits earlier. I'm reading James Clear, Atomic Habits, and it's so, so helpful. 
I think I definitely mentioned habits because I have also read that <laughs> recently. Yes. So it's been <laughs> top of mind. And finally, how do you hope a patient feels after your initial visit? I think it two things understood and validated. I guess it's, wait, that, those are one in my mind. <laughs> and then empowered. Well, Cheryl, thank you so much for being here today and sharing your passion and enthusiasm and all your knowledge. And like I said, I hope we get to talk about RA again in the future in a context of a different landscape for OT and RA. Absolutely. And one quick plug at the end for the American College of Rheumatology and the Association of Rheumatology Professionals. Mm. Those are the professional association for rheumatologists and like allied health providers. So if you do want to engage in more discussions, they are the ones that are like advocating for OT and stuff as well. So I don't want to give them credit. Like I'm not just doing this on my own. Yeah. So, but yeah, thank you. I'm so thrilled to be here. Thank you for indulging my various soapboxes. And I can't wait to talk with more people on the forum about you know what they've learned and if they have any follow-up questions on the OT Potential Forum. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Wow, you all, my mind has just been spinning all week about how OT could become more involved in caring for people with RA. I hope that your mind is spinning as well and that you feel like you have some beginning tools to get started. If you are interested in earning a continuing education certificate for your time today, what you are going to do next is head to otpotential.com. There you can sign in or sign up for the OT Potential Club. It is currently only $49 to have access to our courses and the many resources in the club. So if you are not a member, I just highly encourage you to join us. In the club, you can find the course and take a five question test. And if you earn 75% or higher, you will have a certificate sent to your inbox. Okay, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. As always, I hope this podcast helps you broaden your knowledge, tweak your practice and stay evidence-based. Take care and we'll talk with you next month.